We're coming into a new year. We uh, Christmas is over. Amen, anybody? Okay. Those are possibly parents saying amen, finally. Oh, I had a wonderful time. I got to go see family. Uh, I think probably the highlight was I have a nephew who joined the Navy, and he didn't get to come home for Christmas, and they have taken his phone. That's what they do, you know, no outside contact unless permitted. But he was able to spend the day at a church and borrow some old guy's phone to FaceTime his mom. <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. He, uh, and I heard some of my favorite words because I had given him some tips before going. I said, hey, here's some ideas. Be prepared to be bored. Because everyone I've talked to, everyone who served, and my older brother did it, uh, a lot of friends, they said, yep, during your training, you're going to get bored. There's going to be times when you can't go nowhere. You're not allowed to leave. You will have no outside contact, and they don't give you nothing. So be ready to be bored. And I heard my favorite words. He said, Mom, Cody was right. He said, three weeks in, I was regretting my decision. But he's trucking through. He's going to be finished on the 4th. So I'm very proud of him. Now, uh, man, isn't that true how sometimes waiting is the worst part? Just waiting for the next thing. You know, I think of uh, not in regards of what he was going through. He was looking forward to good stuff. He said, oh, the physical stuff, that's easy. He was a wrestler in high school, of course. You know, nothing can be harder than that. But waiting. Maybe you're like me and you've ever experienced this whole we have to wait and see moment. You ever go to the doctor and you think you're, you know, you're falling apart. You think you're dying. And the doctor says those dreadful words. Well, let's wait and see. And that's always that empty promise of, all right, well, I hope it's nothing. Like the doctor comes back and says, you were constipated. What are you doing? (laughs) But also he gives you the other sign. It's like, okay, it could be cancer and you could be dying. And I feel like it's always one of those two things. It's either nothing or, you know, get your plans in order. I don't know. But that waiting, that anxious, uh, what do I do while I sit here and wait? That's the worst. But luckily, we have a God who when he calls us to wait, it's not for something worse. It's not like the worst case scenario we're waiting for. No, instead, he gives us promises like, no, don't worry. You're waiting, but good things are coming. You see, today's text, we hear about these people who are waiting and Luke records this, and I think he records this for a purpose, and he does it in his whole theme of his gospel, is he writes his gospel for the benefit of us. Because he is a Gentile, meaning not Jewish, meaning he doesn't know, I mean, he may know now, like we may know now from reading the word, but we did, he didn't really know the customs of the time of these Jewish people. So he was writing from a Gentile's point of view to other Gentiles saying, hey, this is why they're going to the temple. Mary and Joseph are going for this time of purification. That's what he's writing. That's what he said. Now, this time of purification was a situation for mothers who had given birth to their child, and they have to wait. They were, un, they were deemed ritually unclean, meaning they cannot go into holy places or touch holy things. If it's a son, it's 40 days. For a daughter, it's longer. And it just basically, it's kind of a blessing that means they're undisturbed for 40 days, meaning a time of healing, 
and taking care of the newborn. But after this time is over, they go and make an offering so that they may rejoin the community. And Luke explains this to us. This is why Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as was written in the law. So he's, I mean, he's looking out for us. He's like, hey, people who don't know, this is why. But it also gives us insight into Mary and Joseph and their, their life, even their financial status, because they were not rich. You know, it says their, their offering was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This is normally a lamb. This was an exception made in the book of Leviticus, saying if you cannot afford a lamb, here's the other option. But it all is to note that this is a normal practice for Jewish people, especially young Jewish couples with children. You go to the temple, you make your sacrifice. This is normal. But God uses something really cool and really abnormal. These two random strangers who are, let's, let's be nice, older. They're not, I mean, it, he kind of says Anna's old, let's be honest. But you got these two people. We got Simeon and Anna who are waiting. They're waiting for something. And I, I'm going to group them together because everything good comes in pairs, you know. I think that's biblical. You know, God designed marriage to be a, between a pair, man and woman. You know, that's true. Uh, in the book of Acts, you have the disciples got sent out in pairs as a team. Uh, pairs are biblical. That's why my favorite candy is Reese's. They come in pairs. It's the best. It's biblical. But here's what it says about Simeon. Luke described him as righteous and devout. Simeon, righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation, this means that healing feeling of comfort that the Messiah will provide. He's waiting for that. He's waiting for the Messiah. And I think there's a specific reason why Luke records all these things in order, and we'll get to that. But we have Simeon waiting. And at the same time, it says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Man, what a blessing that would be. But at the same time, I can't imagine if there was people around him thinking he is crazy. Like, you know, there's old man Simeon again. He's still thinking he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. And he could be 99. You never know. But this is the parallel to like Abraham and Sarah when they were made promises, but they're but we're old, God. But you also have Anna. Anna's in the temple, and as you jump ahead, you can look at that. Anna was, she was very old. I mean, Luke's brutal. I mean, it says she married to her husband for seven years and then was a widow until she was 84. So she's old, older. Let's be nice. And uh, they were both waiting. They were just in the temple every day. And they were waiting. You know, I think this is, man, if you've ever gotten that accusation, maybe by family or friends, where it's like, man, you keep going to church every week. You're always reading your book. This, when I first became a Christian, it was like, I'm longing to go to church. I was like, I need, he wanted to be there every Bible study, every Sunday. 
And I know so, so many people, and I still have people today, where it's like, why don't you take a Sunday off? I said, you know, you're, you've got a crazy routine. It's, and it, on the outside, it looks religious. Like you're practicing it religiously. I was like, man, Simeon, you're there and you're expecting all these things. You need to calm down. You're, you're annoying. You're bothering us. I imagine that's he faced some scrutiny. But how do you describe this to the world that it's a, I'm not going to church to be seen. I'm not going for an obligation. I'm not reading my Bible because I know I should. I'm reading my Bible and I'm going to church because that's where I feel the presence of God. When I was a young Christian, it was like, this is what I needed to fan my flame that was my faith. I couldn't fuel it on my own yet. I needed to be poured into. And it says Simeon was righteous and devout. They were there because, not because of crazy religious routine, but they had a daily pursuit of the presence of God based on the promises of God. And this is what God has promised the whole time. He's always said, this is what I desire for you to pursue me. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Come after me. God wants, desires us to come after him and seek him out. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Anna was in the temple every day. Simeon was in the temple every day. Man, what a blessing. So both of them got to see Jesus. And we, when we get down into verse 29 and we see Simeon's words and we see what he says because he recognizes Jesus. This isn't just another kid walking into the temple like he is used to. Another young family with a child. No, this is more than that. He recognizes Jesus as the promised Christ. There's something there. Something revealed it to him. Someone revealed it to him. And I think of Mary and Joseph and now this crazy situation, because imagine you walk in to do a normal thing, and a couple random strangers run up to you, grab your child, and start praising God. And you're like, huh? What do they know that I don't? But it's not that they don't. Add this to all the signs Mary and Joseph have been given. You know, you had Mary and Joseph both visited by angels and making promises like, hey, this is what's going to happen. You have found favor with God. Like that was said to Mary. Can you imagine something greater to be told? Like you have found favor with God. You have these wonderful signs. And then you have the, the night Jesus was born where they shared it with some shepherds. But the shepherds said, hey, no, angels came to us and told us about Jesus. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then here's another one. Strangers, people they don't know, coming in and saying... Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He recognizes Jesus. They witnessed Christ, and just as God's promised, you, it would that Simeon would see Jesus, see the Messiah before he dies. And that's what Simeon says. He's like, all right, now I have seen your salvation, you may dismiss your servant. He's saying, I'm finally... I'm going to go die. Not, I mean, not, that's not kind of what he's saying, but that's what he means. 
But also at the same time, you have Anna, who is in the temple every day. She is in the temple every day. That's what it says. It says, she never left the temple, worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. You know, this is how I think, this is how it has to be for women when they, um, this is what scholars believe they uh, that she was in service to the temple, but since she was not a woman and also not in the right tribe, she could not perform any ritualistic duties. But this is how she served, praying and fasting. And so they probably permitted her to live and stay in a room in the temple. But for her faith as well, she also got to see Jesus, witness the Messiah. And these are the promises that God makes, that God says, I will reward your faith. I will reward your faith. God says he rewards faith. He said, promise Simeon, you'll see. You'll see before you go. And he did. Anna spent her whole life serving. And she got to see Jesus as well. But this is common. Jesus has said this over and over again. There's a reward for coming after me, for following me. Matthew eleven twenty eight, He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's a benefit to following Jesus. There's good things that come from. God rewards it. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, the reality is a lot of us may not see an earthly reward. We will not benefit from our faith much. In fact, we'll probably receive the opposite. We'll receive a lot of scrutiny, a lot of hate, a lot of ridicule. We'll probably be considered that crazy person rambling about the Jesus. But Christ, and for those in Christ, they promised eternal, an eternal reward. But let's keep going into what Simeon says because he gets, he delivers some controversial words. Some words of encouragement, but controversial. So he says this. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation, verse 30, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Your version may say nations. All people. A, and we're like, oh, what's that mean? Oh, he makes it clear. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is controversial because even today, Jewish people, and even back then, they were not really big on Gentile inclusion. I mean, Gentiles were not called God's chosen people. This is controversial, and this would not have been a big moment where Simeon got any fans. In fact, people would be like, uh-oh. But this was a consistent idea where Jews were rejecting Gentiles. You're not allowed to come. You're not allowed in our space. You're not allowed to be a part of us. This was Paul's struggle with the book of Acts and new Christians. You had, he mentioned this in a, a few of his letters where he told, had to tell the Jewish people who had become Christian, stop telling the new Christians who, are, who were Gentiles that, need to be, that they need to become Jews first. That's not how it works. This is a normal struggle, but at the same time, this was something that was always alluded to in the Old Testament. 
the Jews' texts, they said, hey, God is the God of all people. Psalm 67, 1 and 2, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Another one, Isaiah 49, 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I mean, that sounds very familiar. But if you keep going into the into Simeon and what he says, because you, here you've got this moment where he's like, I see what Jesus is. I see who Jesus is. This is the answer to our prayers. This is what we've been waiting for. God has rewarded us. So we have a revelation where God revealed to him who Jesus was. But then something greater came, happened with Simeon where he speaks a prophecy into Mary specifically. He spoke directly to her. And it says in verse 44, He blessed the child. He blessed them, mother and father as well. And he said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against and that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I mean, obviously, they created a lot of rising and falling. The disciples were ordinary fishermen who became great speakers and prominent church planters in the world. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they kind of saw their decline, and they were not happy about that, which is why they spoke against Jesus. Jesus, his whole life, he faced opposition, constantly challenged and threatened. I mean, and this revealed Jesus, to Jesus and to everyone their hearts and thoughts. Like, uh, let's skip, skip ahead. Luke chapter 5, you guys know the story. A bunch of friends bring their paralyzed friend, carve a hole in the roof, and lower it, lower the hem in front of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing great faith, says, Ah, oh, I'm going to forgive you your sins. And the teachers of the law were right there, and he knew what they were thinking. Who can forgive sin except God? If you want to write that down, it's Luke 5, verse 22, where it says, And he knew what they were thinking. You can't hide anything from God. You can't. And then Simeon, he speaks some gloom into Mary directly. He says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now there's a lot you could say about this. And I think there's probably the common thing is you have Mary, mother of Jesus. And what's this mean? Does this mean the suffering she's going to embrace, that anguish, the emotional hurt? Because that's obvious. You mean she witnessed his death. I mean... I can't imagine what it would be like to watch your only child, or your firstborn child, die, and be accused of something he's not guilty of, and a gruesome death at that. Maybe it's something more because Jesus did mention how he has a sword; he came to bring a sword. Matthew ten, verses thirty-four through thirty-six, it says, "I did not come to bring peace, but a sword that turns man against father, daughter against mother." He said, enemies, your enemies will be in your own household. He declared that he would bring a sword that separates families. And there's a lot you could probably say about that. I mean, Jesus did have brothers who didn't really 
believe in his divinity. They're like, ah, older brother Jesus rambling about being God again. They didn't believe him at first. But I think it was something more. Because in Luke chapter 8, and we'll get to this eventually, it says in 19 through 20, 21, it says, Jesus' mother and brothers, they came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, I don't know about you, but I, it, it really does hurt when, a, when you have someone you love say, ah, I don't even know them, or they're not my family. Kind of a rejection. Ouch. He, was, he basically denied his family, rejected his blood family before a whole crowd of people. Would that hurt? Is that what he meant? Did he intend to do that? Now, I don't think this is something personal where Jesus intentionally, intentionally put separation between him and his family. But I think in a very real sense, Jesus was doing something much bigger because God was doing something much bigger. You see, and here's the deal. is This is one of the realities of life I've had to come to embrace is I have a blood brother. But he joined the army at 18 and went and created some bonds with other men. And this is normal. And this is one of the realities I had to come to accept that, hey, he went and suffered in training and schooling and did all the craziness that they do. Spent countless hours together with these other men and even went into other dangerous places and nearly died with these men. That creates a bond. And the reality is he may be more brothers and they may be more brothers to him than I am. And there's nothing I can do about that and I have to completely accept that. But I also think that it says the same thing about the church. I think there are people here, people in the church who have gone through more in life together than they have with their own blood. These are bonds that are thicker than blood. They're more important than blood. I believe this was God's plan was for us to find a new family. He had a plan bigger than just his. His family. You see, this all goes along with the whole theme of Luke's gospel. Luke's whole plan with this gospel is telling and explaining from a Gentile's point of view to other Gentiles that God's plan does not just include the Jews anymore. It's for all of us. And that theme is this, that Christ is God's salvation for all people. He said he invites us all to the table. Now, here's a cold truth. God invites, but that doesn't mean everyone accepts. God includes Gentiles in salvation, but many don't accept. Many don't follow. I mean, Jesus was very clear, you know, wide is the gate that goes to destruction. Many go through that. Narrow is the one that leads to life. Few enter it. But either way, God calls all those who accept Christ, he calls them to him, and he says, I'm going to call you mine. He invites us into a bigger family. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the, time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God calls us his sons and daughters. 
John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. God calls us his children. That's why we use the phrase brother and sister in Christ. Because under Christ we belong to God. And here's this wonderful event, and I don't know if Mary and Joseph know what's going on, and you have these gloomy words of a soul, a sword piercing your soul, but it's still wonderful because it's a sign of encouragement that God is doing something big. And this is not a normal trip to the temple. It's much bigger. But I come back to Simeon and Anna, who are... I mean, they're, they're, they may be struggling. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like the daily life of being a believer, it can have its difficulties where you are just waiting for the next day. I mean, most of the world, they just wait for something. They're waiting for the weekend. They just, uh, as soon as the work week's over, that's when the good things come. But Simeon and Anna, they, they were waiting on a promise. We are waiting on a promise. And that weight, it can be difficult. I mean, it, we are all going to have our struggles. And here's the, here's the truth of life is we are all going to struggle. We're all going to go through something. We're all going to have hardship. We're all going to have bad days. But the difference is God has given us so much. Where those bad days, we don't have to suffer through them alone. Here's the truth I keep meditating on, and this will never, <laughs> seems to not leave my head. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And I don't know about you, but I'm starting to see that I think God has put the exact people we need in our life in our life for a purpose. He has surrounded us with everything we need and everyone we need for everything we have. You know, I think there's so many people who are seeking out. I need these people in my life. I need this. I need this. I need this. And I bet there's so many times where we have people who, can, who are there for us, but we have never actually seen that they are available. We've never seen that God put them there. One of the greatest gifts that to mankind ever gave us was his kingdom. This group of believers that we call church. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, because I know this came to me really, really difficultly once when I was a teenager, and I realized that there are people in my life who want nothing more than me to know who God is and to grow in faith. And I had never even considered asking for help. I'd never even considered asking anyone around me that I am telling them that I'm struggling and I need prayer. You see, there's a bad habit in the world where people like to keep each other at arm's length. You know, I think we all know that. And part of it I get, you know, if, you're, if you have coworkers and you're, even though you may go, be going through something in your life where you're 
it's probably awkward to go and cry to a coworker and say, I am struggling to keep going. And then the next day you have to pretend like it didn't happen. Or maybe they don't care and they, you know, are telling you, boss, go to the bathroom and do that alone. You know, uh, whatever it is, there's that struggle of I can't vent, I can't share this with these people. That's normal. But the problem is when it creeps into the church. It creeps into the church and we're over here thinking, these people don't want to hear about my problems. Or I need to look like I have it all together. But God didn't design the church for, a beat of, for us to show up, hear some good words, read the Bible a little bit, sing some songs, go home and hope it sticks. That's not what God planned. That's not what God designed. That is not what happened. We have built up too many walls to protect us from getting hurt. We built up these walls because one of the things that does hurt is when Christians hurt. There's something about it when a Christian, you share something to somebody and said, don't tell anybody about this, and they let it slip. And if it's a struggle you're dealing with, something that hurts you, and oh, that may hurt even worse. We build up these walls to protect us, to make some parts of our lives inaccessible. Like, no, you can have this, but not this. Well, it's all right. God said, hey, I want part of your life. No, he didn't say that. He said, I want all of your life. You see, we build up these walls. And as much as they're for protecting what's on the inside, it, it also keeps out the blessing that all these Christians on the outside are. The walls, walls serve two purposes. You see, we're missing a we're missing some of the blessings that people sitting around us can be. God planned for something greater than the church, for the church. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. God intended for us to work together. We all have the same purpose, same goal, to grow in faith, to know Jesus better each and every day. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, carry each, other bird, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, there's so many times when I need help, and I wish someone would help me, and I know I haven't even thought about asking the person who sits next to me. But they're there. James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, I think about this a lot, how we are not fulfilling all that we can do. I think about that a lot, is am I making myself available? Am I making myself willing to hear, to pray for you see, I think we do a really good job of praying for people. But I don't know if we do enough got, uh, of a job praying with people. I, I find myself guilty of that a lot, where I, I'll say, yes, I'll pray for you. How about we just sit down right now and let's, let me pray with you? Or think about this. God has put so many people in your life for your good, for your faith to grow, do you think he's put you in someone else's life? 
Have you ever thought about you are the answer to someone else's prayers? I believe that we are here for a purpose. We are here to, to grow the kingdom. We are here to see it prosper. We're to see it like a flame consume our community. I believe God has put us here for a reason. And that keeps coming back to the love of God, the love of Christ. And I think there's so many misconceptions about the kingdom and about following Jesus that we get wrong. And one of those is being that that we need to work at it. That we need to work at it. That we need to just keep doing better. It's got to be on us when it's not. You see, we got this wrong message of, oh, you just need to love Jesus more. I mean, that's a good theory, but that's not the message of the gospel. It's not how much we love him. It's how much he loves us. Because there is nothing we can do to fix what we have done. There is not enough good work in the world where we can cover up our sin. One more word and uh, before I pray and we, we worship. I'll ask the worship team to come up on stage. You see, we're, we've got this bad habit of when we are waiting, which we are. We're all waiting for the next thing. We're all waiting for that promise that God has made clear to us. But it makes us stop. It makes us stop everything. I'm just here to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm here to I'm here to listen. But you're, we're here for more than that. We are here to love God, yes. We're here to worship, yes. We're here to read and grow and learn and know God. But at the same time, God said, did not say you're here alone. We as a church are not here alone. And taking the story of Simeon and Anna coming up to Mary and Joseph creating this awkward tension, but also this amazing instance where they speak insight and love into them. And here's the deal is God has put you here for a reason. God has put people around you for a reason. You have everything you need. You have everyone you need. You see, if we treated each other like we do, and we continue to do so, no one would see any fruit to the church. We'd just be another place to them. You see, I think if God, if Jesus treated us the way we treat us, we treat ourselves, he wouldn't want to be friends with us. But thank God he loved us first. He loved us first. He didn't ask for his, our love first. You know, he said, I'm going to show my love first. How wonderful it was that he came down into the mess that is us and declared his love for us by going to the cross. And he explained it very very clearly. John chapter 15 verses 4, 11 through 14 it says, I have told you this 
so that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is what he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He said, I loved you. I love you. He declared it. He made it real. He made it true. And he demonstrated it. He proved it. And he is still proving it today because I believe God is working. I believe that God is putting people in your life, putting you in the lives of others to be there for them to lean on, to learn from, and to grow with. I think we need to come back and memorize and learn and meditate on and trust and know God's promise that he is on our side and he is working for us. You see, Simeon and Anna, they were, wake, they were waiting their whole life. You had Anna who lost her husband and spent 60 years alone. But she spent every single day with God. Simeon spent his whole life waiting for the promised salvation. But he was faithful. He was devout. He was there. He was at the temple when he came. Here's the truth. I think there is so many times when we don't know how to help each other that we don't even ask. I had a friend in college, and uh, his roommate lost a family member. And what he did, because he said, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to drive to his house. And it was half an hour away, an hour away, I don't know, but he drove to his his friend's house and he went and sat in his friend's room with him and he, his friend sat on his bed and he did nothing and he sat in the chair across from him and they both kind of sat there and they kind of just played on their phones. He said, for two hours I just sat there with him while he did his thing and I kind of was just there if he needed me. And then it got late and he said, I'm going to bed. Thanks for being here. He went to bed. He, the other kid went back to school didn't think anything of it and he felt useless he's like I did nothing I sat there but a couple weeks later he got a text when he was over the whole period of losing a family member he said thank you you were there and I just it, it felt better to just be sad with someone else now we never know how we are the answer to someone else's prayers until we, until we try to. And you see, we spend so much time keeping each other out of each other's lives, not realizing how we can be a benefit. I praise God that Jesus does not treat us the way we treat us. And instead, he came down and got into our lives and gave up his. You see, God's church is, it is working. I believe that. I know that there are people here for a reason. And that reason is not necessarily that we love God. We do. But the bigger question is, we're not here 
And the bigger statement is this, is we're not here because we love God. We're here because God loves us. And he is working in the people around us. And we will not know it until he reveals it. And he's working for all of us. So as we come and we sing, I pray we think of the people in your life. Think of the people in your life who are on your side, who you know they're in your corner, who you who you don't know who to lean on, but they've been there the whole time. God has put them there. Think about the people who you know may be struggling. And maybe you're there for a reason too. Because that was what God declared through Jesus, that we that he is here for all and he is working through us all. Church, let's start off New Year's unified. Pray with me. God, we are so thankful for who you are. God, you are working. and We may not know it, we may not see it, but God, we can see that you are working. God, you are putting people where you want them to be where we may not know it. But we see stories like Simeon and Anna who are eagerly and waiting for the promises you have made clear. Lord, I pray we lean on those promises, those promises that you are, you have revealed to us, that you are working for our good, that you are active, that you are alive, and you have promised us life. Thank you so much for sending your son. Lord, I pray that we all desire to grow in faith and follow him each and every day. Lord, I pray you work in us, you work through us. Lord, I pray your church thrives and is unified and and shows your love for us. Lord, I pray our church be a light to the community and the the world of darkness around us. Lord, the world needs you. The world needs your son. It needs to know your love, that love that came in the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray for any hearts that are struggling, anyone who's going through hard times, anyone who doesn't know what to do next, Lord, I pray that you you reveal yourself, you speak into them, you show them your love, you show them the people they can lean on, they can go to. Lord, I pray you fill us with your spirit. God, we are so grateful for your son, and I pray, I pray we contemplate all the things and all the people in our lives that need to know who you are. Lord, let us be your messengers. We love you in your son's holy name I pray. In the great name of Jesus I pray.